wanting to get a real shower, not a Gatorade bath, because I want to get focused on Alabama. They got a five, six hour head start. So I'm not, I'll be honest with you guys, I'm not interested in celebrating that. We'll look back on that that win and that'll be great, but we're focused on the task ahead. That's that's the objective. And that's what our guys, you know, they worked their tail off for three to four weeks to get this opportunity. And it was a one game season. And now it's another one game season. I'm not focused on Gatorade bass. But you guys, gave us a lot of really positive rat poison. The rat poison that you usually give us is usually fatal. But the rat poison that you put out there this week was yummy. <laughs> Welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Brennan. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And made, we got a show lined up for you. We got a great guest lined up for the show, as promised. Wanted to have this guy on the show for as long as I can remember. I've been following his work. He's been uh, doing this stuff a lot longer than I have. And, does uh, you know, someone that uh, knows the, in- the SEC inside and out. And it's none other than Braden Gall, Athlon Sports. He's the host of their podcast. Now he owns his own company, 440 Sports, that uh, covers Nashville. And they got about a dozen podcasts of their own. Our buddy Chris Lee, who uh, covers Vanderbilt, his podcast is on his network there at 440 Sports. He's an ESPN national radio host. So a really great conversation with Braden. We got to hit on about 10 different SEC teams. So we'll get to that in just a moment but hey you know as you guys know you've been listening to the latest shows i'm becoming a little bit of a basketball guy here slightly i'm not i'm not overdoing it this isn't that sec basketball podcast by any means but hey i just want everyone to be aware if uh you know they're super casual fans like i am they wait for the sec tournament they wait for uh the ncaa tournament we're getting a little preview of the upcoming SEC tournament this weekend with two fantastic basketball games, the top four current seeds in the SEC all going head-to-head. So I just wanted to bring this to everybody's attention. And both games nationally televised, starting with a game Saturday on CBS, Kentucky, which is currently the number two seed in the SEC, at Arkansas, number three in the SEC at 2 o'clock Eastern, 1 o'clock Central, Again, nationally televised by CBS. That's going to be one hell of a game. Both these teams are on a tear right now. And then not to be outdone, you know, equally fantastic game. The number one seed in the SEC right now, Auburn, on the road at Tennessee, currently number four. And these teams can finish basically in any order. They're that tight. So things are really going to be up for grabs this weekend. The Auburn-Tennessee game, 4 o'clock Eastern, 3 o'clock Central, nationally televised by ESPN. So if you're just getting into basketball like me, this is the perfect Saturday to get into uh, two fantastic SEC basketball games and probably, you know, the seeding for the uh, SEC tournament and seeding for the NCAA tournament going to be decided here on Saturday in the SEC. So, hey, if, if you got the day off, definitely worth checking out those two games. But, hey, on with the show. This is, of course, a football show. And, we had some interesting news, sort of. It's not official by any means, but there was rumors and speculation that uh, if you've not been paying attention to it, and I don't blame you if, you've, if you haven't because it's Pac-12 football, but 
Arizona State quarterback Jaden Daniels entered the transfer portal about, a, I think, a week or two ago. But So he was there starting quarterback. This guy get a, a, a ton of praise. He had a fantastic freshman season. Not The next two seasons, not as good for him. But there was a report that Jaden Daniels headed to Missouri. That has since been disputed by Daniels himself. So let's throw this up. Uh, he's tweeted it out himself. I am not committed anywhere as of right now. Thank you. Just wanted to bring this to everybody's attention because we may have a new quarterback to break down in the SEC if Jaden Daniels, former Arizona State starting quarterback, does make the decision to go to Missouri. And again, that's not official. But the Tigers, man, they've got, um, you know, this is a big year. Drinkowitz year three. Connor Basilak, of course, no longer with the team. Got uh, a three-man quarterback race here between Brady Cook, the guy that started the bowl game there for Missouri, Tyler Macon, former Elite 11 quarterback prospect, um, and I think the odds-on favorite to win that starting job this offseason. And then incoming true freshman four-star Sam Horn, who there's a ton of hype around this kid. But we, So we got a three-man race here at Missouri. The only thing, those three, none of them have much experience at the collegiate level. So adding another arm would make some sense for Drinkwitz. You know, he can't sit here and play. You don't want to piss off the quarterbacks you got on your roster, but at the end of the day, you got to play the guy that wins the job. And, uh, you know, if you're afraid of a little competition, you're probably not man enough to play in the SEC, particularly uh, be a starting quarterback for a team on the rise. So here's a little insight into uh, – this Jaden Daniels, his numbers, again, his freshman year was fantastic. 60% completion percentage, 2,943 passing yards, 17 touchdowns, only two interceptions in 12 games of action. But the following season, only played in four games, 58% completion percentage, 703 passing yards, five touchdowns, one interception. And then last year really went off the train tracks here. 65% completion percentage, that's pretty good. But uh, 2,381 passing yards, 10 touchdowns, 10 interceptions in 13 games. And I've seen some of the analytics from some of the people that I trust. Daniels was uh, hovering around 90th best in the nation. So at that point, I mean, I don't know what the story is. I've never watched this guy play at Arizona State. But if, he's a if he was the 90th best starting quarterback in the country last year, I'm not really seeing why Missouri would want to add this guy to uh, – to their quarterback room. I think you got to go with the guys that are been in your system and know it. And that's just my read on it. Unless, you know, maybe he was injured. Maybe he was banged up. We'll see what happens there with uh, Jane Daniels, but he may be headed to Missouri. Of course, we'll keep you updated on that, but just an interesting, interesting situation. And, you know, if Daniels really is the 90th best quarterback in the country, that may say something about uh, what Drinkwitz thinks about his current crop, which two of the three he recruited himself. So I don't know. I don't know what to, what to read into that, but just something to monitor uh, heading into the weekend here if you're a Mizzou fan. But all right, so hey, I do got some LSU comments here as well we're going to play, but uh, before we get to that, we're going to finish the show with that. I've held off long enough. Let's get to our interview here with Braden Gall, Athlon Sports, 440 Sports, ESPN national radio host, one of the busiest guys in college football. Let's kick it over to our interview. All right, we're pleased to uh, be joined by Braden Gall, 
long, long time follower of this guy. I've been wanting to have him on the show for as long as I can remember because I've been listening to the Athlon Sports Cover 2 podcast for years and years, which he does with a friend of the show, Stephen Lazen, has been on the show a number of times. And Braden, I, I joke, but it, not really. You're like the busiest man in sports media. You own your own business, 440 Sports, which has an outstanding SEC podcast, The French Element. You're an ESPN radio national host. Uh, I mean, how many hours a week you work in there, my man? Um, less now that it's not football season, but uh, during the football season, it's it's seven days a week. There's no question about that. Yeah, no doubt. And oh, I forgot, don't forget to to give Braden a follow at Braden Gall on the Twitter machine. But uh, I cannot thank you enough for for joining the show and give me a little bit of your time here. Yeah, not a problem, man. Happy to be here. Uh, love what you guys have been doing for a while and kind of upset a little bit that Steven's been on the show before me. <laughs> I'll have to mention that to him. But uh, no, glad to be here, man. Excited and ready to talk ball. So let's go. Absolutely. And then, man, add another one to the list. You you also write articles and that's, you know, that. Main reason I wanted to have you on because one of your recent articles here on Bet MGM, four teams that can win the next national championship, in your opinion. And I love the fact that three of them are from the SEC. So that's going to be good for you and I. Alabama, Georgia, Texas A&M, and Ohio State. Let's just focus on the uh, the three SEC teams. Why are those three? I mean, Alabama and Georgia. I think that's kind of obvious, but throwing Texas A&M into the mix. Why are these the four in your mind that can, uh, the only four that can win the next national championship? Well, I think we've learned in modern college football, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm, I'm choked up about this. Um, I think we've learned in modern college football that, you know, that you have to have a certain level of athlete to win a college football national championship. And it's not just like your top 5% or 10% or 30%. Like you, you need, 60, 70% of your roster needs to be blue chippers. They need to be four and five star players. And really to win the national championship, which part of that, the point of that article that you're referencing is I think there's way more teams that can get into the playoff than anyone ever gives sort of college football credit. I think 40, 50, 60 teams could be considered quote unquote contenders to get into the playoff. The question is how many could actually win two games mm -hmm. against teams of Alabama's caliber. And I'll just use Alabama as like a stand in here. But that's what you have to do. You, you know, Michigan, if you wanted to win a title, Michigan would have had to have beaten Georgia and Alabama in back-to-back -back games on top of beating Ohio State at the end of the regular season. How many teams can do that? And to do that, you have to have elite athletes. You probably also have to have elite coaching to some degree. Um, you probably need a star quarterback. Like, you, you need all these different pieces. And which teams, to me, and I sort of, like, threw out all the metrics – and I just, you know, whether it's a, an advanced metric or an ancient metric, and I just said, which, what teams have the best combination of athletes and coaching? Mm -hmm. And obviously, to your point, Alabama, Georgia sort of goes without saying. I think Ohio State's in that mix because of their talent and because of their path and because they dominate the Big Ten and their coaching staff is excellent. they got a great quarterback. I think A&M is, is the one that people sort of raise their eyebrows at, but that's, you know, four consecutive top eight recruiting classes, three of those of those four have been in the top, I think six or five. And, and obviously the best class in America ever assembled this past year. We've seen Jimbo Fisher win a championship with a young, highly touted quarterback surrounded by an extraordinarily talented roster. I, I don't think I'm picking them to beat Alabama, win the division, but we just saw A&M two years ago, go 11 and one and almost get into the playoff as a, as the number five rated team in America at the end of the year. Could they be the fourth-rated team and be 11-1, and one, not even win the division and get in? A absolutely. And once you're in, 
then it takes a certain level of athlete to win two games. And I think a and the only other team outside of Bama, Georgia, and Ohio State that I think can do that. I don't think, you know, you look around college football and you go, who else has the, 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 the actual athletes that those four teams have? And, you know, Clemson's not even on that in that conversation right now. They're, they're close, but they're not, not in 2022. Mm-hmm. And no reservations whatsoever that uh, Jimbo, you know, has what it takes to to do that. I mean, I know he won a national championship at Florida State, and and like you said, he, they had a hell of a year two seasons ago. But it's kind of hard for me to look at last season and, and not think that was a. Now there's circumstances, of course, but you know, losing to both the Mississippi schools, that LSU game was inexcusable. Arkansas, I mean, losses are starting to mount that uh, that shouldn't be there for the Aggies. You know, college football is a funny game. The LSU one, you're completely right on. But at that point, the season is – the expectations in the season is – I don't want to say it's over, but, like, everything they wanted was already sort of lost at that point. First of all, you had the greatest Ole Miss team in the history of regular season Ole Miss football. So it's the best <laughs> Ole Miss team ever. So you have to sort of kind of point to that. And I think the circumstances should not be overlooked, that you lose your starting quarterback two passes into week two – and he never comes back and plays a game. And with all due respect to Zach Calzada and that one amazing night in College Station against Alabama, he really wasn't all that good. And I don't mm-hmm. know why people think he's going to be a, a savior at Auburn. Frankly, I don't understand that. I, I think he's a average to below average, you know, backup SEC quarterback. So I think, you know, that sort of took the wind out of their sails. Um, some of the there, there's no question it's a it's a fair, um, you know, critique of Jimbo's. But again, fifth in the nation two years ago clearly recruiting at a level that only Alabama and Georgia can really claim that they're on the same level with them. And we've seen him win a national title before. Like, I don't, I don't know how long he stays at A&M. I don't know how hard it is to work for him or play for him. I don't know if he needs to evolve the offense eventually and maybe run some form of tempo. Um, But at the end of the day, it's hard to look at that roster and that coaching staff and not be like, yeah, they have all the things you need to do it um, because they've got better players than, out of 131 schools, they probably have better athletes than almost all of them with the possible exception of Alabama. And even mm-hmm. then, I think you could argue one to 85 A&M is just as good as Bama. If not, if not better, the difference being Bryce young at the, at, at the number one slot, there, right. probably being significantly better than anything A&M's got. Now it would take a dream scenario. And unfortunately, probably some injuries to, to some of the top contenders, but let me just throw a, a perfect season one of these three teams has the perfect season, which would surprise you the least that they make and maybe even win the SEC next season, Arkansas, Mississippi state or Kentucky, which, uh, you know, I'm not drinking drugs here, but I'm just, I'm trying to give these fans <laughs> some hope here. If, if one of them was to just, you know, have this miracle season, like Mississippi state almost had in 2014, which one of those do you think most realistic Arkansas, Mississippi state or Kentucky? It would not be Mississippi State. I, I could I could put that one at the bottom. Um, I really like the Arkansas makeup, the coaching staff, KJ Jefferson being back. They're gonna have to replace Traylon Burks, of course. But I, I that that is I feel like they, you know that that is a really intriguing team. But that schedule is so insanely hard. Even even a non conference game against Cincinnati is gonna be hard at home to start the year. Kentucky, I have to look at, I have to refresh my myself on their crossover opponents. But part of the reason I picked them to finish second last year and to have ten wins was because of their crossover games and and how how their schedule set up so nicely. They got LSU and Florida at home, and in, in what we thought was going to be down years, you know. It, now they also have to replace two coordinators essentially with Liam Cohen and John Summerall leaving. So those are 
two really big losses for for Mark Stoops, but stability, continuity, like I it's between Arkansas and Kentucky. I mean, the answer is zero. The answer is none. <laughs> uh, unless, unless we start like hammering bourbon and, and, and drinking drugs, as you said, um, which I, 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 I do both those just so you know, Okay. well, <laughs> I try to sip. It depends on how good the bourbon is. If it's like right, bad right. bourbon, then I'm going to hammer it. If it's like the good bourbon, I might take it, take it slower. Um, Kentucky, it's interesting. Cause like they're going to get Georgia at home. And if you can just beat, it's almost like the A&M thing. Like if you can just beat the one team that's dominating your division, mm-hmm. you've got a chance to win the division. Now they have not really done that ever, even though they've been close a couple of times. So Kentucky, you could, you could argue the, the case for Kentucky is, is the path. Like they can win the right. East a little easier than, you know, her, jumping over Ole, Ole Miss and Alabama and A&M is a lot to clear if you're Arkansas. So maybe the answer is Kentucky, even though I think Arkansas might be the better overall team. But those are both probably preseason top 25 teams. So they're both pretty good. Mm-hmm. Now, which program uh, do you got more confidence in that uh, this coach can lead the fans to to the expectations? And maybe these two programs, the, the, the fan expectations are a little too rich, but we got. I'm talking uh, Shane Beamer at South Carolina, Josh Heupel at Tennessee. Not necessarily next season, but just you know the future of those programs under those leaders. I know that's kind of a convoluted question there, but uh, which one you got more confidence in to, to maybe kind of reach those ex- vast expectations those fans have? I mean, the short answer is Josh Heupel. Um, my real answer is I don't think either. We'll we'll get to where they are supposed to be. The, the difference is Tennessee's sort of big picture expectations when they do finally stabilize and they do finally kind of get back on track. And, and it does feel like they've got some adults in the room finally in the key positions to run things that eventually expectations for Tennessee are going to be win the division and compete for an SEC championship. That's never really been the expectation for South Carolina, even though they've got like a lot of the things you would need to, to be that good. I also think Josh Heupel is a far more established, far more experienced and, and just far better football coach than Shane Beamer. So uh, while the expectations are a little higher at Tennessee, eventually, I think fans are happy right now because they showed progress. Mm-hmm. Again, a professional adult is running the program, which is a step in the right direction. Cause that wasn't the case before. And <laughs> I think winning eight games next year is totally doable. Maybe nine, maybe the year after the question is how long do Tennessee fans? I mean, again, Butch Jones won nine games, two years in a row. And that, sort of people were uneasy about that. So how fast does that like rabid nonsense come back into the big orange fan bases? I guess the, the, what you're saying there, I just don't know if Shane Beamer can even replicate what he did last year. Like I, I think Spencer Rattler is a fine player, but, but, but with a worse coaching staff and a worse supporting cast against a tougher schedule, why is Spencer Rattler all of a sudden going to be better than he was at Oklahoma? So I, I have major doubts about South Carolina long-term. I think they're going to recruit like crazy, and the roster will be in really good shape for whoever takes over in like 2026. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, one team that, uh, you know, you already referenced it, Ole Miss, they had a historic good regular season. Now, you know, I hear that Lane Kiffin, you know, he doesn't quite put in the work that he needs to in high school recruiting, but hell, they, they're killing it in the transfer portal. And this is just a new age. And, and I think there's a reason he's out here saying, you know, A&M's buying players and all this. I, I think it goes back to his work work ethic on the recruiting trail but maybe he can sustain success using the transfer portal we just never seen it done what are your thoughts on that do you think he can keep that that team and that program relevant by uh, just focusing so heavily on the transfer portal 
I, I I don't think you like Bill Snyder at Kansas State famously is like the only guy I can think of that sustained a program long term with like junior college transfers. Mm-hmm. And he's like the only one. Now you can pick spots and and get your guy. Like Alabama's doing that through the portal. Like and they do it like in a more disgusting way than anybody else. They're like, oh, we need a great return man and running back. We'll get Jamari Gibbs and uh, oh, we need a great corner. Here's Eli Ricks. And oh, we need, you know, like they they sort of get the 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 best of the best. I think you can do that to replace Matt Corral, for example. I think you can do that with with Jackson Dart and you can bring him in and and he's not you're not gonna miss a beat because he's a super talented kid that's gonna run your offense really effectively. I, can you build up a defensive, you know, too deep through the portal year in and year out? Like, no, you're not gonna be able to do that. Like you you still the best programs, just like the NFL with the draft, the best programs in college football are still gonna live primarily on recruiting. Mm-hmm. And Kiffin's got a lot of spurrier to his game. Uh, he, he definitely, he, you know, from the quips and the, the barbs and the, and the language and sort of the, the personality on Twitter, like how awesome would it have been to have Twitter with spurrier around, by the way? <laughs> um, he, he's, you know, we, we know that he was drawing up plays, but he wasn't really recruiting hard. Lane's got a lot of that same stuff. I don't think you can build a two deep in, in the portal and compete with Bama and A&M and Georgia at, at like LSU when they're recruiting well. Like you can't. Right. You can't, you you have to have like second and third, you know, your second and third receiver, your second and third corner, your second and third offensive tackle. Like you got to have your defensive, your fourth defensive end needs to be a four-star player. Like you've got to have guys that can come off the bench and play meaningful snaps. And that, that's not, I don't think you can build that kind of depth through the portal or through the junior college ranks. I think you've got to do it through recruiting and you kind of fill in the voids. It's great for a program like Ole Miss because they can, you know, stay relevant quicker because they lose corral and they get dart. But to say that they're going to win 10 games again and, you know, compete with the best teams in the country. Like I don't, that, that is hard to, to see without quality recruiting. Mm-hmm. Now on one of your recent episodes of the, the Athlon podcast, I wouldn't say, you, you know, you were very careful with your words. So I don't know even know how to ask this question, but you talked about Brian Harson and what you think the thought process is down there. Can you kind of rehash that and, and what you think uh, is essentially going to happen in the next year there on the planes? Uh, I mean, to, to me, you know, I was shocked that they brought him back, but I also was shocked that they were trying to fire him in the first place, but then I'm not shocked by any of it because it's Auburn. <laughs> so what you have to look at is just sort of use some logic. And I think the buyout goes down on January 1st, I believe. Um, it goes down after the iron bowl, but not a lot. It goes down again, I believe after the calendar year ends. And, and then of course you also give yourself 10 or 11 months to sort of line up in, in, in try to conduct a process, you know, professionally, which again, sometimes is difficult for Auburn, but it, it, you know, Harson is a really good coach. Auburn's a great program. They just probably don't work together. And, and that's okay. Um, it doesn't mean that Auburn gave him a fair shake. So Auburn deserves a lot of blame in some of this, at least not, not the university necessarily, but the, but the boosters and the, the power brokers that, that probably love being in control of the program more than they might actually love the program itself. Um, and so that's, that's, you know, again, I, I think it's unfortunate because he got that job and half the boosters already wanted him fired. Um, they didn't want him to be hired. And so he was sort of like, they were looking for ways and uh, you know, you lose four or five straight games. I, I'm, I, I, man, I would have been so 
had they held on and beat Alabama, I would love to know what Auburn fans were, would have done this offseason because would it have felt different? Well, no, wait a second. He, he did something no one else could do. He beat Alabama. Like, would we be knocked him out of the championship game in theory? So what, what would we be saying? What would Auburn fans be saying about Harson if they just gotten one stop on one drive? Like, I mean, they had Bama beat. So I, I think he's gone at the end of the year. I don't know who the right person is for the job. You know, Billy Napier said no. Um, and now I think he's the right guy at Florida. And he did that for a reason. He didn't want to deal with all the the extracurriculars. So I don't know what's going to happen down there. I, I do. I would like to believe that making a hire in January of next year versus February of this year would be a more professional and more coordinated and organized process for Auburn. And that alone might be worth it. Not to mention how much money you save on the buyout. So mm -hmm. he'll coach this year. We'll see what he does. But like, if he doesn't recruit great and win 10 games, like he's gone in my opinion. All right. Last thing for you, Braden, I really appreciate all your time. And I don't think there's a wrong answer here, but uh oh, who's going to be the better hire Billy Napier at Florida, Brian Kelly at LSU. Wow. I really love the Billy Napier hire. I really do. Um, I think Brian Kelly's a great hire for a lot of reasons. Uh, he's won every single place he's ever been. It is a big, it is a big fish move by Scott Woodward who tends to make big fish moves straight gangster. As we call him. Um, <laughs> there's, you gotta be a gangster to be an AD in the sec. Danny white's a gangster, by the way. Um, I just think Napier there's uh, Napier took everything from all the good stuff from Saban. And he, he is the way he approaches it, the way he sees it. And, and you couple that with his knowledge and experience in the area, being a guy that is a Southeastern guy and has coached down here forever. Culturally, he just knows the people and knows how to talk to parents and recruiting. I think he's going to recruit like crazy. He's building the staff. It appears that he's gotten the administration to buy in to what he wants, which is sort of what Dabo did at Clemson and what these guys do. They show up and they go, if you don't give me all this stuff, we're not going to win. Mm -hmm. And that's what it feels like he's done to Florida, sort of open up the pocketbooks a little bit. And, and Brian Kelly, I think, is really good. I, I, I don't, you know, that's a that's a home run hire for for LSU. I just think there's there's some up there's some Kirby Smart type of upside with Billy Napier, and I'm not sure I would like with Brian Kelly. It's like I need to see the recruiting, and if he can recruit, then they're going to win. LSU will be fine. Mm -hmm. uh, also, it's a tougher tougher division, right, with Jimbo and and, and Bama. So it, that's a tough question. Um, I, maybe I'm partial to Billy Napier, but I, Brian Kelly's a great hire too. Okay, I really appreciate you, Braden. Give him a follow at Braden Gall on Twitter, owner of 440 Sports. He's got about two dozen podcasts on there. I don't know how he's got the time to, to do all that. Athlon Sports, Cover 2 Podcast, ESPN, National Radio host. Braden, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man. Always a pleasure. Anytime. All right, so just want to say thanks again to Braden for joining the show. First time on the show. And, of course, uh, you know, his partner there on the Athlon Sports Podcast, Stephen Lazen, who's been on the show a number of times. Now we've had the duo on, on the show. Maybe sometime we'll get them both on the show. That'd be pretty cool. But, you know, really appreciative of Braden Give me that time. Like I said, I've wanted to have him on the show for a long, long time, and I don't think he disappointed there. All right, but last thing before we uh, call it a week here on the pod, Let's kick it on down to Baton Rouge, as promised. Brian Kelly introduced uh, his offensive coordinator, Mike Denbrock, on Thursday. So they did the, the defensive coaches on the last show, 
go back and check that out if you missed it. But now we've got the offensive staff introduced down there in Baton Rouge. You know, Mike Denbrock, if you're not familiar with the name, he was Cincinnati's offensive coordinator. Of course, Cincinnati went to the college football playoff last year, got smoked by Alabama, but hey, <laughs> he played his part getting them there. And prior to be Cincinnati's offensive coordinator, he was Notre Dame's offensive coordinator. So the familiarity is there with Brian Kelly. Friend of the show, Adam McClintock, who uh, runs his analytics model, had Mike Dembrock as the nation's number one offensive coordinator last season. So that gives you an idea, LSU fans, what you're getting in Coach Dembrock, a, a multiple guy. And, uh, you know, that was kind of the theme of uh, this presser here on Thursday. Uh, before we get to Mike Dembrock, Brian Kelly was, uh, was asked about offensive linemen. And I thought this – if you're unaware of, uh, you know, if you're unaware of what they would have been doing there in Notre Dame the last couple of years, you know, they don't have a ton of skill when you compare it to SEC rosters. But where Notre Dame has excelled better than just about anybody in the country is on the offensive line. And they've been doing it year after year, put a lot of guys into the NFL. And that, if you're an LSU fan, that's got to pique your interest because even when you won the national championship, I know your offensive line won the uh, Joe Moore Award for the, the nation's best offensive line. But, you know, I, LSU fans still, I think they would say that, uh, you know, while that, that unit won the award, they had their ups and downs. And, and aside from 2019, that outstanding team, basically, you know, the last five years, aside from that one, the offensive line has just been a disaster down there in Baton Rouge more often than not. And that's considering, you know, they got five-star players, four-star players lining the offensive line. So it's been a real issue in Baton Rouge, but really in all of college football, development and identifying future stars at the offensive line seems to be at an all-time low in college football. One thing you're not going to have to worry about under Brian Kelly, given his track record, is uh, the ability to identify and develop offensive linemen, and that's something Brian Kelly hit on here on Thursday. There's a uh, program in the SEC West that's recruited the offensive line at a high level, and they've been consistently successful probably in part because of that. What have you identified in in your career and, and now at LSU about that unit that is so pivotal to future success? Well, you know, I, I have a um, profile in mind, and Brad and I and Mike and, and everybody in the offensive staff has discussed what that profile looks like. Um, and, and so, you know, we're going we're gonna to recruit to that profile um, and, and we're going to develop to that profile. I think, I think one of the keys to that, without, you know, getting into too much uh, by position group, would be that offensive linemen um, uh, can be developed. And it's a position that I look towards as a position of development. And, and, and that's physically as well. You don't have to come in ready-made um, as an offensive lineman. And um, may, maybe that's a bit of a change in, in a mind's eye relative to a profile. And then last thing, this is everybody's uh, question when you hire you know, an offensive-minded coach. Are you going to be calling the plays? Is your offensive coordinator going to be calling the plays? Brian Kelly addressed, uh, you know, how involved he'll be. And the way he says it, he's going to be involved 
on both sides of the football, which I think if you're an LSU fan, again, this is probably music to your ears because you don't want another situation where your coach is basically hands-off on one entire side of the ball. With the athletic, you've delegated play calling duties the last few years. Will that continue with Mike? And regardless, just how do you imagine your dynamic between the two? So let's get this clear. I call all the really good plays at the outset. You know, de delegating those responsibilities was was not very difficult for me because, you know, for 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 my time, it was so important that I spent more time with the players on a day to day basis. And so, if you're in meeting rooms and you're tied up most of the day. You know, with the other things, the collateral responsibilities that fall on the head coach, uh, it's very difficult to build the kind of relationships you want with your team. Um, so it allows me to be in the training room. It allows me to be at meal. It allows me to do other things and, and build those relationships with our players. Now, look, I'm still responsible for the football. The head coach is responsible. So um, this is not a detachment from from anything. Um, I'll meet with our coordinators, I'll be in offensive meetings and defensive meetings, but there's a difference between full detachment and, you know, still as the head coach, be responsible for end of game situations, timeouts, appropriateness relative to fixing things, you know, as they go, and I'll still be involved in those things. So after Brian Kelly got done speaking, his offensive coordinator, Mike Denbrock, met with the media as well. And, you know, kind of the same thing as what Matt House had to say yesterday about the defense. They've not really formed what the identity is necessarily going to be on the offensive side of the ball. Got to get acclimated to the, the roster and the players they have to work with. But uh, here's Mike Dembrock on what the scheme will look like. And, uh, you know, I love the fact that he says, similar to Matt House, this going to be personnel driven. I think this is uh, the only way to have success at the highest levels of college football. When, well, just how would you sort of describe the offense that y'all are going to run here and what that scheme is going to look like? I would describe it at this very moment in time as a work in progress. Um, we certainly, I mean, you've watched uh, Notre Dame football. Um, those of you who have had an opportunity to watch some of the things that we did at Cincinnati, um, you know, there is a base of what we will be. We're going to be a team that uh, plays physically tough. Um, is going to run the football with effectiveness, um, is going to have the ability to stretch the field vertically and create explosive plays, uh, whether that's in the run or the pass game. Uh, and we're going to have a, a workable drop-back game where we can uh, make sure that if we get into situations where we've got to throw the football, we throw it effectively and efficiently. Um, you know, the idea of, you know, coming together as a staff and what we're working on even – you know, as, as we kind of broke our meeting to come over here as an offensive staff and to kind of meet with you, uh, we're in the process of, of trying to figure out exactly what direction that's going to end up taking. Um, is, is it a, you know, we're a, a personnel-driven offense at its core, which means uh, it's multiple enough that we can do what we need to do with whichever personnel group we decide to do it with. So it's, it's I, I heard, you know, yesterday, uh, you know, them talk a little bit, and you guys talked a little bit defensively about being multiple defensively and how important that was. Um, we feel the same way offensively. It's going to be uh, with 10 personnel. It's going to be with 11 personnel. It's going to be with 12 personnel. Uh, there were times in the last few years 
uh, at, the, at the place I just left where we played with 14 personnel. So, you know, it's going to be multiple in what we do and what we present to the defense. Um, can't run the same plays out of the same looks every down and have success against the defenses that we're going to play against. So it's going to be, uh, you know, an effort on our part to show the defense as many multiple looks as we possibly can um, while not confusing the guys that are doing, uh, running the plays and executing the plays uh, at a very high level. But uh, it, we're just in the beginning stages of that. Um, you know, to say that uh, we're going to run my offense um, it would be pretty arrogant on my part, especially considering the talent that's in this room. Um, we're going to run an offense that's LSU's offense, and we're in the process of, a, of as a staff of, of making sure we, we get that straightened out and get the verbiage the way we want it uh, and get a, a lot of those details kind of ironed out. Um, you talked about developing that offensive style here, and just to kind of follow up on that, how much do you let like the talent that's already here dictate that scheme that you're going to play? And then all right, once you have that scheme, are you going to recruit to that or just kind of see what um, the talent holds in the state? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great question. I think it's, you know, to the first point of it, um, we have to be what we can be. Um, you know, we, we have, you know, the players in the program were very talented, in my opinion, on the, on the edges of our offense. Um, in the backfield, um, you know, those players have to be utilized uh, to their talent level and, you know, to the expertise that they bring to the offense. And right now they're very physically gifted and we need to make sure we're utilizing those guys. Um, how much, how much uh, you know, we branch out from that will depend on obviously the makeup of our team moving forward. I don't know that I have all those answers for you today. Um, but that's kind of where it starts. Those are the knowns. Um, and then we're going to give people opportunities throughout the spring to step into roles uh, and earn their way into being more a piece of what we do moving forward. And um, that's really the best we can do at this point. All right, so not as much uh, entertaining quotes from uh, the, the offensive side of the ball as we got from the defensive coaches on the last episode. But, hey, we're just weeks away from spring football, so we're going to have tons of more coach clips to play in the days and weeks to come. Uh, I hope you guys appreciated five shows this week. I'm going to try to keep that pace up as long as there's something to talk about. And when there's not, I'm going to try to make something to talk about like we have been doing. So I just want to give a shout out. You know, this is the best February we've ever had. We've more than doubled our audience numbers than we did the previous February. So a shout out to all you guys out there, the audience, a very, very, very appreciative to everybody out there that tunes into the show and hopefully get uh, cousin Shane on a couple next week. He's finally, like he said, finally done with uh, all his work trips and everything. I know he's on his way back to East Tennessee right now. And Hey, we're, we're scheming behind the scenes. We're going to try to do some kind of, we've talked about it before, like a fireside chat i'm gonna drive down to east tennessee we got all the equipment ready to go we're gonna to start to try to take the podcast on the road more and this is gonna be a trial run uh, we're planning on just drinking beers and shooting the shit and talking football so we'll see how that goes but uh if things slow down it may be a perfect time to break out the first edition of a fireside chat so be on the lookout for that not exactly sure when that's gonna come but we'll let you guys know and until then, enjoy the weekend. Big basketball weekend here in the SEC, so enjoy it. 
and we'll catch you on the next one.